You're listening to Special Education Matters, a regular podcast about things that matter in special education. I'm your host, Michael Bull, and I am the proud father of an 18-year-old boy with autism. This is show number three in our beginner's guide to the IEP. If you're new to an IEP, or even if you've attended a few, you may wonder, what does a successful IEP look like or should look like? CSNLG lawyer Linnea Murray explains what happens during an IEP and what your role is as a parent. Linnea, great to speak with you yet again today. And today we're going to talk about the IEP itself. We're there. We're sitting down at the IEP. We're ready to go. We're excited or nervous or both. Can you describe for us what's that atmosphere like? Is everybody going to yell at me as a parent or are they all just going to give me a giant hug or maybe something in between? It's definitely going to be something in between. (laughs) So I think that most IEP meetings have a generally collaborative bent toward them. So most of the time you walk in and that is definitely the vision of the law, that an IEP meeting is the coming together of an IEP team. And you are supposed to be a team and you're all there you know, for one purpose and one goal. Mm. And that is to identify a child's strengths and weaknesses and then figure out how you can help in the area of weaknesses. So the atmosphere is generally pretty good. Mm -hmm. There are some IEP teams where people don't like each other, and that's just human nature. And so sometimes you get a little bit of that. And I would say that there's not a single IEP meeting that I um, go to for my stepson where I don't feel a little bit nervous. So I think that's pretty standard. Everybody's a little on edge to begin with, and then within three or four minutes, everybody's calmed down and the guard comes down a little bit. So, right. And this nervousness is coming from somebody who has gone to IEPs, both as a parent in the parent role and then also as a lawyer role, and you still get a little bit nervous. Yeah. So I don't get a little bit nervous when I go as a lawyer. (laughs) I do get a little bit nervous when it's somebody who I love so much because they're my, my family. Um, And I love my clients. I know it's just, it it is really different when it's your kid that everybody's talking about and you know them and you spend time with them. Nobody else does like you do. It does make a big difference in the IEP um, preparation process. And then also when you're in the meeting. All right, so you go to the IP, you sit down at a nice conference table, and you're in one place, and then it seems like there's 10 other people from the district there. Who is there, and what are their roles? Yeah, so the district, so that's one thing we should say about the atmosphere. If you are a single parent, or even if you are husband and wife, and you're both at the IEP meeting, there's sometimes upward of 10, 12 people from the school that are there. And so you can feel a little bit outnumbered because they will send so many people into the room. Legally, there needs to be a general education teacher in the room. And then usually there are the teachers who assist with your child. So if your child is receiving special education, that would usually be their like special day class teacher or their SAI teacher in the room, and then any other service providers are typically invited. As the kids get older, the gen ed teachers come for like three, four minute (laughs) um, appearances because there's just so many of them. That's my experience at least. Mm -hmm. Uh, My stepson is in the 10th grade right now, and so he has a lot of classes with a lot of teachers, and so they'll each come in for like six, seven, sometimes 30 minutes and share what's going on when kid is in their room. So um, 
we have gen ed teachers, special ed teacher. Sometimes there are assessors present, like the school psychologist is usually there. Um, and if it's a triennial IEP, then you'll have all of the assessors who did assessments present. So that might be your occupational therapist or your speech and language pathologist. They need to be there to explain what is in the assessment because those things are written for experts and parents are not experts. And so having um, the assessor in the room to explain what the, incess- the assessment includes is really important. So we talked about in the, the oh, I was like, real quick, I was going to say in the yeah. last show, we talked about the importance of bringing a, a friend and certainly a notebook because there's so much information that's going to be coming your way. It's a good chance you're going to miss some of it. As, and when you walk out, you're going to have forgotten some of it. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And then just make sure that you get copies of everything that's discussed. So if they talk about grades, you can say, oh, you know, I don't, I haven't printed that recently. Can I have a copy of yours? And usually the school is pretty quick to get copies for you. And then assessments, um, if you if you know it's a try IEP, they should be providing those assessments in advance and you should be requesting them about 10 days before the IEP meeting. So you can take a stab at understanding what they mean. Okay. Did you want to talk about the difference between your first IEP or an annual IEP versus the triannual IEP? And as far as who, what it's like and who's there? Yeah. So definitely the big difference is, um, the who is there component. So at the try or the initial IEP, you have a lot of assessments to go over. Typically you have the psycho ed assessment and then um, however many ancillary assessments are necessary given your child's unique needs. So again, that could be speech and language, could be OT, could be more in the way of behavior, visual processing, auditory processing. There's a lot of different assessors who may have had the opportunity to evaluate your child and they would all be present or they should all be present at the triannual evaluation mm-hmm. IEP, the tri-eval IEP. Um, and then the initial IEP, you should have all those assessors there. And at the annual IEP, that typically is not necessary unless any little assessments have been done throughout the year. Um, and those are special ed assessments, not those tests that every kid takes like the SBAC or standardized tests. These are um, we're specifically talking about special education assessments right now. So annual IEPs tend to be a little bit shorter in terms of the duration of the meeting and the number of people at the meeting is uh, substantially fewer than at a try IEP. Let's talk then about the process how it works. So, you know, you've explained you know, what the atmosphere is like. You've told us who's there, especially annual versus triannual IEP or an initial one. How does it work? Like, who speaks first? And do I get to ask questions? And can I cry? I mean, what happens? Yeah, you can definitely cry. <laughs> you can definitely ask questions. So we'll answer those two first. Um, so the process, in my experience, is... Uh, the IEP meeting is called, so they'll say, okay, we're ready to start the IEP meeting. And then typically um, a teacher or a district representative will say, let's do introductions. And so you'll go around the room. It's often in a clockwise formation, although that's not necessarily the case. And each person will give their name and then their title. And so the school will say, um, I'm a gen ed teacher and my name is Miss." 
Bryant. And then you go around and it comes to the parents and you're always embarrassed because your title is like mom or dad, but really you're the most important person there. So don't be embarrassed when you say that part. Um, and then the group essentially begins the meeting after introductions are done. So I like to be one of the first people to speak to remind people of the purpose of the meeting. So if there has been an agenda set out, say, oh, these are the four really important things that we're looking to discuss today. And then that kind of sets the tone. And sometimes they'll just go with the the order in which the agenda is typed and written for them. And other times they'll want to stick to the drafting software that they have on their computers um, just for, I'm sure, ease of getting through the program. Right. To fill it out Uh, along the way kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So at your typical annual IEP meeting, you're going to have a moment where everybody shares strengths. That's in my experience. I'll go around and say what the student is doing really well. And that's important because a lot of parents feel that this is just a session of you know, berating their child and saying how terrible they're doing or how they never behave or how the ADHD is out of control. And so you leave feeling really defeated. And I think schools know that and schools aren't, they're not filled with terrible people. So Mm -hmm. the school district personnel um, spend a lot of time thinking about the student's strengths. And so that is usually how they'll start the IEP meeting by saying, oh, your son is doing a really good job in these areas. He's really well liked. He has a lot of friends or he's working hard on making friends. And they'll share some positive information at the front. And then they'll move into the other parts of the IEP, which would include um, progress on goals. Mm-hmm. So once you've started the whole process, you've already had an IEP for a year, they've been working on goals. Now is the time that they're going to tell you whether or not the goals were met. And so they'll get feedback from the people who are in charge of those goals um, and making sure that they were worked on throughout the school year. And then parents have the opportunity to weigh in. So if your child had a comprehension goal, you could weigh in and say, well, we really don't see that. Do you have evidence? Like, do you have work samples? Do you have a quiz that was taken that shows he's really at 80% on four or five trials or five of five trials as these goals are sometimes written? And you can ask for that information and then you can weigh in on the conversation. And sometimes the school is quick to say goal is met, goal is met, goal is met. And that's not always the case. And so um, sharing your perspective on each goal is really important as a family. So regarding that evidence, that's probably best to add that to the agenda in advance so the teacher knows to bring it. Otherwise, they might not and then they'll feel a little caught off guard. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I think that they should bring evidence that the goals are met. If Uh they're going to say goals are met, they should be prepared. Um, And just depending on how frequently the school interacts with advocates and your relationship with the school, eventually they'll start to know what you're going to ask for. And if you're pretty consistent about wanting proof of a present level of performance and proof that the goal was met, I think they they get on board pretty quickly with providing that. Okay. So how does it all end then? Like uh, what happens at the conclusion? So after you've discussed goals, you've talked about strengths, you have talked about prior goals, whether or not they were met, you've drafted new goals. So for the upcoming year, you've talked about what the school will work on with your child. 
Then you talk about services and accommodations. So this is the part of an IEP document where the offer of FAPE is made. So FAPE is a free, appropriate public education. And in this context, it's going to refer to the special education and related services that the school district is offering you. Okay. And so that would um, include any services that your kid is supposed to be getting. And as a parent, you should be prepared to make them put it in the IEP. (laughs) Um, Sometimes they'll say, oh, yeah, we'll do that. And as much as you can get it in writing, that's very helpful. Sure. So you'll get an offer of faith. And you might talk about accommodations. So that would be extra time on tests or having notes provided by the dish, the, by the school teacher so that the student doesn't have to take notes during class. For some students, that's very difficult. So any uh, testing accommodation or classroom accommodation, preferential seating, behavioral aids, all of those pieces um, of the IEP that we kind of think are the most critical tend to happen toward the end of the IEP meeting. And at that point, the IEP meeting is usually concluded. And this, this happens differently um, at different IEP meetings. For some students, the IEP will need to be continued. And so there's just a conversation of scheduling. So it ends with, well, we didn't get to everything on the agenda today. When can we all get back in here again? Right. And how much time do you think we still need? So that's a pretty common way to end an IEP. Um, if that is not the case, then you might just be given a printed copy of the IEP for your signature. And that is um, a topic, I'm sure, for another episode. (laughs) But (laughs) you have the opportunity then to take the IEP home with you and review it and consider it, make any notes, ask any questions before giving consent to implement the IEP. So I think that's how, how in your experience do IEPs and you're crying at this point or have you stopped? Well, no, the crying happens in the thank you. So when I say thank you for doing such and such and such, that's when I start blubbering. So that's basically at the end, right? That's when it's the worst. Though actually when my son was younger, I think I cried a couple times, you know, once like a quarter of the way through as well. But yeah, but yeah, usually that's how it ends. It's the questions and then thank you. And then what are we going to do next sort of thing? Yeah. It's sort of the, what are we going to do next? And, um, do you agree with everything we've said here? And you can mm-hmm. say, well, we need to think about it and take this home and talk about it. And, and that's, that's what you book. recommend, right? It's like, take it home, return it in the timely manner that whatever the requirement is, but to make sure you have a chance to breathe first and talk to your, whoever that was there with you and perhaps your spouse and then decide what you think. Yeah, that is very important. So there is no need to sign the IEP at the IEP meeting. Is there an expectation? Do they expect you to do that? A lot of schools do. Um, It doesn't happen so much to me because I'm a lawyer and they know that I'm not going to Uh advise a client to sign. And they know as a matter of practice that as a family, we don't sign IEP meetings at the meet or IEPs at the IEP meetings. But for a lot of families, I'm told they do feel a very intense pressure to sign it right away. They're told if they don't sign it, their student won't get special education. They're told if they don't sign it, they can't work on the goals. Um, These are things that are not true, but Mm -hmm. they hear. And that's very scary for a parent who doesn't understand the law. And they will sign as a result of that. And some schools are not as great as the ones that we've worked with and um, you've worked for. Some schools are 
little less on the up and up when it comes to getting parents to sign the IEP, but you should resist pressure. <laughs> so <laughs> just tell them you need a little bit to look it over, make sure everything you discussed made its way into the IEP meeting, take it home with you, think about it. And then when you're prepared to consent, um, I like to write a letter that says what you're consenting to and what you're not consenting to and attach that to the IEP and return it. Uh, on occasion, I've also signed the IEP and said pursuant to addendum attached. And then I print an addendum where we say what we think is still needed. Mm-hmm. That can be helpful because then you go back and you say, well, we signed it saying that additional math remediation was necessary and you didn't provide it. And so we never really thought this was a FAPE to begin with. And we made that pretty clear. Um, you can do that via addendum or in a letter, which can be nicely drafted to explain what you agree with and disagree with, but clearly states that you agree to implementation of services and goals so that they can't, you know, look back in two years and say, you never agreed for us to work on right. these things. That's really important that they're doing the work with your kid and making sure that they're working toward those goals. All right. So we're going to cover in the next show, we want just to talk about the IEP mostly itself here, but in the next show, we're going to cover the overview of your rights. You know, to be a more technical discussion uh, to an IEP as far as signing it, signing it partially, the addendum, you talked about all those sorts of things. So we'll cover that then. So thank you though, again today for this great conversation. Thanks for listening to another edition of Special Education Matters. For more information, including show notes, head to our website, csnlg.com slash listen. And if you like what you hear, please uh, consider giving us a review on iTunes. Those reviews bring us lots of happiness. I'm your host, Michael Bull, and we will talk again soon.